Whenever I watch a movie, what keeps me engaged in the movie is caring about what happens and caring about what that thing happening happens to. Just last weekend, I was traveling and we had some downtime in the hotel. I pulled up in my iPad and started watching a movie and not more than 30 minutes in, I, I turned it off because I didn't care about the characters and I didn't care about what happened. There was no conflict. Nothing was at stake. For, for decades, movie makers, novel writers have known that to keep an audience engaged, you got to have conflict. And one of the best kinds of conflict that keeps us watching or keeps us reading is jealousy. Think about the movie Gladiator, Commodus. There on the left is jealous of Maximus on the right and his relationship with his father. In the story Toy Story, Woody gets insanely jealous of the attention that Buzz gets when he arrives in uh, Andy's bedroom. In the movie The Little Mermaid, Ursula is jealous of Ariel's voice and her beauty. In the movie The Lion King, Scar is jealous of his brother Mufasa's power and place in the pride. If you're noticing a pattern in Disney movies, it's there. I left out movies like Aladdin, Snow White, Cars, and so many others. And the truth is, when we watch movies like this, we can see the danger coming for those characters. We want to warn Mufasa about Scar. We want to warn Maximus about Commodus. We want to warn Buzz about Woody. But here's the thing. It's much easier to see danger coming for someone else than it is to recognize our own danger. It's much easier to to notice the danger that's coming for somebody else based upon what's in their heart than it is to recognize what's in our own hearts and the danger that it poses for us. Over the past five weeks, we've been in a series here at Cornerstone called How's Your Heart? This series was inspired by a book by Andy Stanley called The Enemies of the Heart. And we've been looking at what's going on in our hearts as we start a new year because we're convinced that what is going in on inside in our hearts is incredibly important. We've said that what's inside of us ultimately comes out of us and it affects everyone around us. The question, how is your heart, isn't just a question we're asking for, for selfish reasons. It's a question that we're asking out of our love and care for everyone around us. From the beginning of this series, you've been coming back to a verse in Proverbs chapter 4 that says, Guard your heart, for above all else, it is the source of your life. Guard your heart. Above everything else you do, care for, protect, concern yourself with what's going on inside of you because it is the source of your life and from it will flow everything else. So today, as we conclude this series, as you may have wondered from the introduction, we're going to be talking about jealousy. Here's the big idea if you're taking notes today. The jealousy that we feel in our hearts, it doesn't reveal a problem with each other. It reveals our problem with God. The jealousy that we feel in our hearts, it doesn't reveal the problems I have with you or you have with me or we have with them. It reveals a problem that we have with God. Now, as you've been doing for the last few weeks in this series, we're, we're asking questions about what's going on in our hearts to try to understand it better and to see what God wants us to do in response to what we find when we ask the question, how's our heart? 
So today we're going to dive into four questions about our jealousy. And we're going to share these questions and hopefully try to answer them to the best of our abilities. Here's the first question. What do we think provokes our jealousy? So where does this jealousy that that we have come from? Where, Where does it originate? Well, for many of us, our jealousy comes because other people are getting what we want or deserve. Other people out there are getting what we want to have or what we think we deserve. And all throughout the scriptures, we actually see this happening. There's a story about Cain and Abel, the first brothers in the scriptures in the book of Genesis. And they both make sacrifices to God. And Cain becomes jealous of Abel's sacrifice, especially God's response to Abel that's different and better than the way God responded to Cain. Later on in the book of Genesis, there's a a young man named Joseph, and he's one of 12 brothers. And his 11 brothers become jealous of him because his father seems to care about him in ways that he doesn't care about the rest of the brothers. He gives a gift to Joseph, a, a coat of many colors, that he didn't give to all of the other brothers. And in our world, there's lots of things that happen where other people get what we want, or what we think we deserve. Somebody you see buys or upgrades their house. They they have a a relationship or they go on a trip. They they drive a certain car. They, They have a certain set of looks and we go, man, they have what I want or they have what I deserve. And so we think we should have something in our life or we think that we deserve something in our life And when they get it and we don't, jealousy begins to rise up within us. But we said in the big idea that the the jealousy that is in our hearts, it doesn't reveal a problem with each other. It reveals our problem with God. Because while we might feel jealous of them, if, if we sit back and reflect for a second, what many of us begin to realize is that God could give us what they have If God wanted to. You see, being jealous of someone else is really holding a grudge against God. Over time, that feeling of, man, I want what they have, shifts to, man, why did God give them that when that's what I want? They don't deserve that, but I deserve that. And maybe the question, if you've ever felt jealous, that you were afraid to say out loud, but if you were honest, you really felt in your heart was this. What was God thinking? Like, What was God thinking when he gave them that and didn't give it to me? What was God thinking when he allowed that to come in their life, but he didn't bring it in mine? I mean, I deserve it so much more than they do, and yet they got it. And for many of us, the jealousy comes because we believe that we're somehow more deserving. We're a better person. We've done certain things to deserve that thing or experience or gift. And so we go, God, why, why would you bring that in their life and not bring that in mine? Each week in this series, we've been talking about a phrase that sums up the emotion that we're dealing with. We mentioned in the first week in the series, guilt. And we said, guilt is that feeling of, of I owe you. It's that unpaid debt. We said, anger is kind of the opposite. It's when somebody has wronged us and we say, no, you owe me. 
Last week, our friend Jeremy Jernigan shared about greed, and, and greed comes from a sense of entitlement. It says, I owe me. I deserve this. Well, jealousy also has a short phrase, and jealousy is essentially the idea that God owes and I just want to challenge you today that if you've felt jealous at any point in the last few months or few years, I want you to consider the fact that maybe underneath the feelings of frustration with somebody else getting what you want, that there may be some emotions towards God and a feeling that God owes you because they got it and you didn't. Well, here's the problem with jealousy, though, and we'll dive in our second question here. Like a lot of emotions, jealousy doesn't stay static. It evolves and grows over time. So the second question I want to pose to you is, is how does our jealousy evolve? When, when you feel jealous and that jealousy isn't dealt with immediately and it grows and it sustains, what happens? What does it evolve into? Well, in my experience, our jealousy leads to resentment and guilty pleasures. Over time, jealousy doesn't stay jealousy, but it grows into resentment and at times a feeling of what I would call guilty pleasure. Over time, if it's unaddressed, jealousy doesn't naturally get better. It only gets worse. Now, there are certain things in our lives that without attention, they grow and they move in a good direction. But these things that we're talking about in this series, How's Your Heart? Guilt and anger, and greed, and jealousy, none of them naturally get better. If left unaddressed, all of them only get worse. And we see this in these stories in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis. We see what happens with those brothers who are jealous of Joseph. In Genesis 37, it says, Joseph set out after his brothers, and he found them at Dothan. They saw him in the distance, and before he had reached them, they plotted to kill him. So what started as jealousy now has moved into a plot to murder their brother. See, it started rather innocently, just a feeling of jealousy, because they weren't getting the same relationship with their dad that, that Joseph was, or they didn't get the same gift that Joseph did. But over time, they're ready to kill their own brother. And that's what happens when jealousy comes in our hearts and we don't address it and we don't deal with it and we allow it to, to take root. We start resenting people. It isn't just, man, I wish I had what they had. I, they got what I wanted. We begin to have a feeling of resentment towards a person. It begins to be thoughts of evil, malice, anger, rage towards them. We, we begin to to have negative reactions to them that sustain and begin to affect other relationships. I'm not sure if that has happened before, but if there's somebody that you're jealous of that you start resenting, what happens when something bad happens to them? In my experience, if, if jealousy has been there, what happens is that we take pleasure and celebrate the losses and setbacks of others. Now, I know this has never happened to you because you're a better person than I am. But I can tell you that there have been times, there have been people that I've been jealous of, people that I resented, that they had something negative happen to them. And in my heart of hearts, just honest to God truth, I wasn't sad. I kind of said, hey, things are a little bit more even now. 
And that's not good. Like when I look in my heart and I say that, 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 that doesn't honor God. That's not healthy. <laughs> that's, that's not kind. That's not loving. But over time, that is where jealousy takes us. It isn't just, I want what you have, and I'm frustrated about it. It's, I want what you have, I resent you, and when something bad happens to you, I don't feel compassion, I don't feel empathy, I don't feel sorrow, I feel excitement. But it doesn't stop there. Like we said, jealousy isn't necessarily a problem between us, it's ultimately a problem between us and God. And over time, we can even start resenting God. In that story of Cain and Abel, when God chose Abel's sacrifice over Cain's, it didn't just affect Cain's relationship with his brother, it affected Cain's relationship with God. Cain didn't just sour towards his brother, he soured towards God. And I wonder if over time, as there have been things that you wanted in your life, things that you thought you deserved and you saw other people getting those things, other people experiencing those things, has that not just affected your relationship with them? Is it possible that those things happening have affected your relationship with God? Has it been hard for you to sustain a healthy relationship with God? Because God has not shown up for you in your life the way you perceive he has shown up in theirs. See, jealousy, it's not about us between us, you and me, or you and them, or me and them. At its heart, we've got to deal with jealousy when it comes to between us and God. Here's the third question. What does the Bible say about the source of our jealousy? Like we see it coming because they get what we want or they get what we think we deserve. But what does the Bible say about the source of jealousy? Well, the Bible says that that our external conflicts are the product of our internal conflicts. The Bible says that the conflict we experience relationally out here between us is really the product of conflict within us. James, the half-brother of Jesus, after Jesus had resurrected and returned to heaven, he wrote a letter to many Christian uh, followers, many followers of Jesus who were scattered across the Roman Empire. We, We went to the book of James this past summer. And in the book of James, chapter four, he speaks directly to this. James says this, he says, what is the source of Wars and fights among you, all that conflict. He says, don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? Doesn't all this conflict out here come from all this conflict in here? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and you cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. He essentially says all that stuff that you're feeling out here is a result of what's going on in here. And and I highlighted two words here that I want to dig into. He says, you desire and you do not have. That, That word in English that we translate as desire in Greek is this word epithumeo. 
And, and in the original te- text, Greek, it means to strongly desire or yearn for or lust for. This isn't just a, a passing want like, hey, I'm kind of in the mood for this kind of food. It is this sustaining, strong desire, this, this yearning, this lusting. And for many of us, we find ourselves driven by our desires And when those desires are unmet, as he says here, when we desire and do not have that conflict within us, it spills out of us. He also says here, you murder and you covet and you cannot obtain. That word there for covet is the word zeluo. And it means to hotly pursue or strive after. For some of us, it isn't just that we want something. Or we think we deserve something. We are giving our lives to pursue and chase and strive after something. And when those efforts don't lead to the outcome that we want. And we look over here and we see somebody else getting the outcome that we want. What's the result? Well, all throughout the scriptures, and James echoes this, it's that we kill. What happens here with Joseph and his brothers? His brothers want to kill him. And it takes one of the other brothers kind of getting them to negotiate down from killing him to just selling him into slavery to strangers. What happens in that famous story of Cain and his brother Abel? It's the first murder in human history. Cain murders Abel. And in many of our lives, when we've gone after something, when we've pursued it, that thing we yearn for or strongly desire or lust for, when we don't get it and someone else does, murderous, destructive, hateful, violent things come out of us. Things that we'd be surprised if we were watching it on a movie and yet we're right there on the front row experiencing it nevertheless. What does James say in James 4? He says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. James is acknowledging that everything we want, we won't have. And everything that we're asking for, we don't get. But he digs deeper into why. He says, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives. The the reason why you're strongly pursuing it, the reason why you're yearning for it, the reason why you're chasing it is the reason why God is not bringing it in your life. He says, we don't have because we don't ask. Instead of asking God for it, we seek after it ourselves or we ask with sinful motives. Sometimes we experience the reality that if God gave us what we wanted, it would be the worst outcome. Because the reason that we want that thing is a sinful, corrupt motive. There have been times in my life where I looked back in the past and said, you know what? The, the, the thing I wanted wasn't necessarily bad, but the reason I wanted it was It wasn't like this thing I was going after was somehow terrible, but the motivation for getting it, man, that was, that did not honor God. And and it's no wonder that, that I didn't get it. So that's what the Bible says about where that jealousy comes from. It, It doesn't come from somebody else. It isn't their fault that we're jealous. It's our heart. 
It's what's going on within us that is the source of our jealous feelings towards them. So like all things that the Bible describes as a problem, what's the prescription? If that's the problem, what is the solution? Number four, what does the Bible say is the solution to our jealousy? Well, here's the answer. The answer is to bring your desires to Jesus and to trust his loving wisdom. His loving wisdom. We're going to come back to that phrase a couple times in the rest of this message. You know, when Jesus gave his longest, most famous teaching, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's recorded in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We went through this just last fall in October and November of 2020. Jesus spoke to this. Here's what he says. He says, consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather in barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? See, what happens is when we feel jealous and somebody else is getting what we think we deserve or someone else is getting what we actually want, we begin to wonder, does God care about me? Am I worth anything to them, to him? Because for many of us in our experience, our worth and value is measured by what other people give us, what they bring us. And Jesus is saying, if you look at the birds and they don't sow and they don't reap, they don't gather in barns, yet God feeds them, aren't you worth much more than that? And if God does that for them, what do you think he's going to do to meet your own needs? He's not done. He continues in verse 30. He says, talking about the grass and the flowers of the field, he said, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown in the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So, So speaking in a public setting where there was grass and flowers and birds flying, Jesus says, look at these birds. See how God cares for them? You're worth so much more than that. Look look what God does for the flowers. Look what God God does for the grass. Don't you think he's going to do so much more for you? And it's this invitation that when we have desires that remain unmet, we need to resolve that, not with the person who's getting the desires we want met, met, but to take those desires to the one who knows how to meet them best. You see, when our desires remain unmet, over time, what can happen is that our trust in Jesus, it can begin to erode. I know the truth is that some of you watching right now, you've been wrestling with some unmet desires, not for weeks or months, but for years and decades. And I wonder, how has your unmet desire impacted your trust in Jesus? Do you still believe that his posture towards you is loving wisdom? Or over time, has the fact that your desires have been unmet, has that eroded and decreased your trust in Jesus? Because when I said we need to take our our unmet desires to, to Jesus and trust his loving wisdom. Some of you go, yes, Scott, I've been trying to do that. And God's loving wisdom towards me has led to allowing more pain, more frustration, more grief, more loss. See, I think for many of us, we buy into the lie that if God loved us, he would give us everything we want. 
That's a common idea in our culture that, man, if I could just get what I want, my life would be great. It's actually an idea that was tackled by a, a really new film. The movie Wonder Woman 84 came out on Christmas Day. It was one of those movies that was due to come out way earlier in 2020, but it was delayed by COVID. And it's a very controversial movie. If if you watched or were on social media around Christmas, you probably saw people that you knew disagreeing with this movie because some people really were excited and liked what happened. But there were a lot of people that were not happy with where this sequel when the first Wonder Woman movie came out a few years ago, and it was incredibly popular, well-reviewed, you know, uh, well-liked across the board. But Wonder Woman 84, the sequel, was not that. My wife and I, we, we rented it from home, and we sat down to watch it one night after seeing the reactions of everybody else, kind of waiting to go, hey, let's see what all the buzz was about. And I won't spoil the whole movie, uh, but I am going to give you a little bit of an idea of what happens here. So if you don't watch the movie, you can just kind of mute church for the next minute. But in the movie Wonder Woman 84, what happens is that Gal Gadot, who plays Wonder Woman, is trying to make sense of this kind of new era. It's kind of the excess of the 80s, hence the 84 in the title. And uh, this guy over here, who you may not recognize without his mask on, he's actually the Mandalorian character in The Mandalorian, uh, Pedro Pascal. He's this kind of uh, uh, Gordon Gecko figure, if you ever saw the movie Wall Street. He's trying to make a life for himself and for his son. And, and through a random series of events, he gains the power to give everyone he touches, and at one point, everybody who hears his voice, whatever they want. And at a certain point in the movie, it seems that everyone on planet Earth has gotten what they wanted. Now, if you were to believe the message that a lot of us experience culturally, that should have led to, you know, nirvana. It should have led to euphoria. It should have created utopia. But but if you watched the movie, what you saw was pandemonium, Armageddon, chaos, pain, loss. In the movie, everybody gets what they want. And you watch as that is the worst possible outcome. I mean, so that, that's kind of a surprising thought, Scott. I mean, I thought that that would be a good thing. I mean, for many of us, if, if we thought about what everybody wanted and everybody got what they wanted, we thought, well, what would happen? Well, that would be a great thing. But as the movie shows us, it's not a great thing when all of us get what we want. The truth is that God loves us too much to give us everything we want. I mean, think back in the past for you. I did this for myself as I was writing this message. There have been seasons in my life where if God had given me what I wanted, I wouldn't be here today. There have been seasons in my life where the best thing that happened was that I didn't get what I want. I mean, we just saw him sing at the inauguration. I mean, Garth Brooks's one of his most famous songs is a, a song about thanking God for unanswered prayers where we thought we knew what we wanted, we thought we knew what was best for us, and then that didn't happen, and it was actually for our good. (laughs) What was best for us is not what we thought would be best for us. And in the book of James, earlier on, James speaks directly to this. He says, every good and perfect gift in our lives is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, 
who does not change like shifting shadows. Over time in our lives, what we want changes. What you wanted when you were a small kid is different than what you wanted when you were a teenager. What you thought you wanted for your life when you were a teenager is different than what you wanted in your 20s and 30s. And if you're now near the, nearer to the end of your life than the beginning of your life, you can look back and watch your desires change over time. And what James is saying is that those good things in our lives, the, those perfect gifts, they all come from God. And though we change over time and our desires shift, God doesn't. And he knows what we need. So the solution is to bring our unmet desires to him and to trust his loving wisdom, to trust his constancy, to trust his perspective on us. And in those moments and places where we have jealousy because somebody else is getting what we want, somebody else is getting what we think we deserve, The challenge is, do I trust God and his loving wisdom that it has perspective that I don't? That he sees things that I can't and that his sense of what's best for me is better than my own. Now, before we jump to our next steps, I want to just raise one thing. And that's the question, what about our good desires? Some of you are saying, Scott, yeah, I get that. But this thing that I want is not bad. This thing that I have in my life that is an unmet desire, it's not evil or sinful. This thing that I want God to do, it seems on the surface to be something that's aligned with who God is, his character, his nature, his purpose. And the challenge there is it very well may be a good thing. And in God's wisdom, which is different than our own, he may see fit to not bring that desire to fruition and to leave it unmet. And there's no way around that other than saying that is a really jagged pill to swallow. There's parts of following Jesus and having a relationship with God that are, that are mysterious. They're hard to understand. They're difficult to wrap our minds around. And, and, and our temptation when we face up against one of these moments is to just drop a cliche that kind of swiftly explains it away. And I love you too much to do that. I don't think there is a perfect answer to the question, what about our good desires? But I do know what I see again and again in Scripture. That we are invited to bring those desires to Jesus and to trust his loving wisdom more than we trust our own wisdom about what is best. And that's not an easy thing to resolve. It doesn't happen quickly. You have to work through that on your own. But going down that path raises this question. What if? What if that desire remains unmet? What if they have what I want and I don't get what I want? What if they, who don't deserve it, have what I think I deserve and I don't get what I think I deserve? What if that thing that I want God to do doesn't happen the way I want it to happen? Is God still good? 
Can I still trust him? Can I still follow him? How will that change our relationship? So that's why in the beginning I said that the issue is not you and them. The issue that jealousy raises is between us and God. And that's where I want to bring this series to a close, challenging us to ask that question, how's our heart so that we can see God work in our heart in ways that he's been needing to for a long time. So let me give you some next steps today as we close out this message and frankly close out this series. Here's the first one. I want you to identify your unmet desires and vocalize them to Jesus. What are those things that you've been carrying around, those desires, those longings, those those wants that remain unmet in your life? And I want to encourage you this week that once you identify those, to vocalize those to Jesus. He's not surprised by them. He knows them. But the act of expressing them to him is is really important for us. And so this week, maybe it means you go out for a hike. Maybe it means you go for a drive. Maybe it means you get out pen and paper and you write down, these are the things that I desire and want that remain unmet in my life, Jesus. These are the things that that I am wrestling and struggling with that I want you to do that you haven't yet done. That's number one. Number two is to meditate on the truth of 1 Peter 5, 7. All throughout last year, uh, at, at various times, I was struggling with desires that I wanted to see fulfilled that weren't happening. I, I know you can't relate to that, what happened in 2020 in, in various ways, but that was my struggle. God was not doing what I wanted him to do. And so one of my practices to, to wrestle through that was to get out my, my iPhone, to pull out my AirPods, and to go for a walk. And I, and I would listen to this, this uh, meditation uh, on an app called the Pause app that I've shared about previously. And in one of the meditations, one of the scriptures that, that you would meditate on was 1 Peter 5, 7. And the, 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 the reader of the meditation, the actor, had a really just great voice. And, and I can just remember, I, I listened to it enough that I can just still hear it in my head. He would read the words of 1 Peter 5, 7 over and over again and invite us to meditate on it. And 1 Peter 5, 7 says this, Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. See, see, that's what I needed to hear in those moments when I had unmet desires and, and God's wisdom didn't feel like loving wisdom. I needed to hear those last five words, for he cares about you. And in those moments where I chose to meditate on for he cares about you, It was a a resistance against the belief that God's wisdom towards me was not loving and that he was not trustworthy. And in meditating on the truth of 1 Peter 5, 7, I I would surrender those worries and those cares and I would reclaim my belief that God cares about me. Even in the midst of circumstance where I wasn't getting what I wanted and I wasn't getting what I thought I deserved. Here's the third next step. Practice the discipline of celebration. 
What I want to encourage you to do is that if you're struggling with jealousy of somebody else, I want you to practice the discipline of celebration this week. Celebrating them getting that thing. There you go, Scott, that just is crazy talk. Why would I want to celebrate them getting what I want and what I think I deserve? Because if, if you can discipline, and I'm not saying you want to do this, that discipline is, is doing uh, what maybe what we don't want to do in order for what we want to happen to happen. When, when you practice the discipline of celebration and when you celebrate someone else's experience, someone else's success, someone else's flourishing, it, it reorients something in your heart. And we've created a resource for you called the Discipline of Celebration Guide. It's available at pressitcornerstone.com slash heart. And what it does is it walks you through seven different steps to, to process through a, a, a preparation time to celebrate somebody else who you may have felt jealous of or envious of. There's even a, a way for you to do this as a family if, if you're watching this together as a family. It's an opportunity to go, you know what, God, as an act of trusting your loving wisdom, I'm going to celebrate your work in somebody else's life. Because even if they're not a follower of Jesus, James 1.17 still remains true. That every good and perfect gift in everyone's life on earth is a gift from God, whether they know it or not. And so we can celebrate God's work in their life. And in doing that, we gain greater trust and confidence that God is at work in our own too. Because at the end of the day, the question, how is your heart? It's not about us and them. It's about God at work in us and him shaping and molding us into the people he wants us to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this journey we've been on for the last five weeks. We thank you for the things that, that you've revealed in our hearts that, that you want to do work within. We thank you that you promise us that, that you finish what you start. And so some of us are feeling so far from the finish line that we need that reminder that, that if we're not dead, you're not done with us. That the, the work that's there to do is is not overwhelming for you, that you are far more uh, above and exceedingly confident to do that work. If we'll open ourselves up to you, if we'll surrender ourselves to you, and if we will give ourselves to responding to that work in the way that you want us to. So we pray that we would grow in our trust, that you love us more than we could ever imagine that you're working in our lives according to a wisdom that is beyond our comprehension and that the things that you have planned for us are for our good and they're for your glory. So while we are waiting to see the full picture that you do, we pray that you would grow our trust and that you would shape and mold our hearts because our hearts are the source of everything in our lives. Thank you for your work in us and thank you for not abandoning it. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.